Good morning. Thanks for tuning in. This is Pastor Julie Lewis from Asbury United Methodist Church in Smyrna, Delaware, where we share the love of God and the good news of Jesus Christ in all we do. Hi, it's Pastor Julie, and we are starting our Lenten sermon series, From Death to Life, looking at the seven deadly sins. And we have two scriptures this week. The first is Genesis 3, 1 through 5, and then Philippians 2, 3 through 11, the Genesis passage. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. You will not, but the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And then Philippians 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Lent begins on Wednesday. This time of the Christian year can be uncomfortable if we as followers of Jesus Christ take it seriously and use these 40 days as a time of self-reflection to look deeply at ourselves, our true selves, and confront the truth about the cross and our personal culpability in the death of Jesus. No one likes to look in that soul mirror and see what is really living there. We've learned how to survive the challenges and trials of this life by believing in the goodness deep inside of us, to believe that we all make mistakes, but we are doing good things, and that is enough, right? Yet we look at the world around us and see the effects of evil. We know it's out there, but we don't often want to admit that it's in here, in our hearts, too. So we point the finger at those evil people doing such terrible things. We would never do anything like that. We're essentially good people. The world needs to change, but it's those people, not me. Sometimes I fool myself that way too, and people around me can feed into that deception. You're such a good person. And yet I know that I'm not perfect by any means. I make mistakes. I sin just like every other human being, and it's during this time of year I am reminded that it's time to do a checkup, to stop and look deep inside and see what I can do better. And it all starts with that look and knowing what to look for. 
Now, Bishop William Willimon, who wrote a book on the seven deadly sins, said in his introduction, something I hadn't really thought about before, that we didn't know what sin was until we met Jesus. We, as a human race, thought we were good, but Jesus came and held up a mirror, showing us the hard truth about our own perceptions of life and love and what it means to be truly good. Even today, we view our lives through a set of lives we've created about ourselves, which we will touch on during the series, but it's only through the cross, realizing what God has done through Christ, that we can see the utter depth and seriousness of our sin. Sin is deadly. As Paul reminds us in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But through the goodness and grace of God, that is not the end of the story. Through the resurrection, we see the love of a God determined to save us from death and give us life. And the verse goes on, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In order to understand the gravity of that gift of life, we must first understand why God sent his son, why sin is so deadly, and why we needed that radical and extreme gift to move us from death to life. This is not a series for the faint-hearted or those content to continue living the lie that we're good people who just make a few mistakes every now and then, who have already been saved, so we have nothing more to worry about. We will look at these seven deadly sins each one week, and hopefully on this journey we will take together, me included, we will find a way to move from deadly sins in our lives to the new life that has given us by Christ. So let's dig in. The seven deadly sins were first identified by one of the desert fathers, Evagrius of Pontius, in the sixth century. He listed eight, but Pope Gregory the Great pared them down to seven pride, envy, anger, sloth, greed, gluttony, and lust. What was interesting to me is that on the face of it, they don't seem that awful. Why wouldn't murder, genocide, child exploitation, and things like that be on this list. All of these seven sins seem to be pretty commonplace and not as dangerous as those others. But the truth is that every sin ever committed begins with one of these seven. They give birth, give a foothold to those other seemingly more terrible sins. And they are deadly not because they cause someone to physically die. They are deadly because they kill our relationship with God and with each other. And as long as we freely choose to let them have control over our lives, as long as we don't see the problem, we will not receive the new life we have been offered in Christ. Each vice, as Pope Gregory called the seven sins, has a corresponding virtue that moves us from death to life. It is not fatal to sin. It's fatal to deny we are sinners. Seeing our sin is a call to life, a call to repent or turn around and thereby receive that new life Christ promises us. The first deadly sin we are looking at is pride, and this is a tricky one too. There are almost two kinds of pride, healthy, one healthy and one deadly. Over the centuries, people have taken the call to be humble to extremes. 
moving to an attitude of self-deprecation, believing that to accept praise or to be happy about your accomplishments is somehow sinful and wrong. But Jesus tells us it is healthy and holy to love ourselves. We all know that it can be healthy and encouraging to celebrate our achievements and set goals to become better and better every day. I believe God wants us to have a positive view of ourselves, celebrating who we are and our efforts to live into who God has created us to be. Deadly pride arises when that pride turns our vision, our thoughts and our actions to ourselves to the exclusion of others and of God. One thing Jesus couldn't stand was self-righteousness and a holier-than-thou attitude. He tells the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector praying in the temple in Luke 18 when the Pharisee prays, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. The poor tax collector, who was indeed a sinner, faces his sins, humbles himself, and prays for forgiveness. The Pharisee was full of pride. He was a good person, you see. He followed the laws and did good things. All that was, all that was probably true, but somewhere along the way, his pride became something that separated him from other people. He became vain and more concerned with himself his image, and his acts of righteousness, moving away from loving God and his neighbor as himself. The sin of pride often leads us to think more highly of ourselves than is true or healthy. And if allowed to grow, it will eat us alive inside like a spiritual cancer, destroying the possibility of love of developing healthy, nurturing relationships, of being content, and of the joy and peace of life. In the Garden of Eden, it is often said that the first sin was a sin of pride. Pride tells us that we can be like God, or at the worst, can be our own God. The serpent tempts Eve with the idea that she will be like God, knowing good and evil, and she takes a bite. It leads to death as they are kicked out of the garden and no longer have access to the tree of life. We struggle with the sin of wanting to be like God or our own God each and every day. Like Jesus tempted in the desert. Thinking we know better than God and can do it better by ourselves. We don't We want to believe that we don't need help, that we're good enough on our own. Proverbs 16, 18, though, reminds us, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It's a reminder that if pride is left unchecked, we will fall. So how does pride, deadly pride, manifest itself in us today? How do we recognize it and move from the vice of pride to the virtue of humility? Well, we begin with God's directive in Leviticus 19.2. You shall be holy, for I am holy. To live a holy life is to follow Christ's example. Philippians 2 tells us to have the mind of Christ and in relation to pride, even though he knew he was equal to God. He did not exploit that truth but took on the form of a servant and walked to the cross, putting his 
our interests ahead of his own. Philippians 2 tells us, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. See, pride becomes deadly when it elevates us above others. When it takes our focus off of loving our neighbors and puts it more firmly on loving ourselves. When this happens, it can lead us away from worshiping God because it moves us to self-worship. When this happens, vanity, worrying about our image and how we look to the world, along with overindulgent self-love, can elevate our interests over the interests of others. And this kind of pride can eat us up inside because we stop considering our value in God's eyes and begin to see ourselves through the eyes of the world. We spend thousands on skin treatments and surgery trying to look younger and more stylish because we have to protect our image in the world. We buy the latest fashions and trendy labels so we can be seen as having our finger on the pulse of society. We donate to the right charities, attend the right events, and serve in the right service organizations, not because we are sincerely trying to be who God has called us to be, but to fit in, to be seen as special or good. And it is only killing us one way or another. We lose sense of who we really are, of who God really is, and of our true value, the value we have only because of the cross. Pride, deadly pride, only ever works against us. It destroys our relationships, our view of the world, and eventually the view of ourselves. It can and does lead to tremendous falls. An extreme example, I know, but looking at the Alex Murdoch trial, if what the prosecutors say is true, Alex was born into wealth and privilege and he let himself believe he deserved to have it, so much so that he thought it was okay to steal millions from his firm and others to maintain that status, that it led him to murder his own wife and son to cover it up and maintain his image. And all that leading him to attempt suicide by someone else's hand. It all started with pride, thinking he deserved to maintain the status quo at the expense of everyone else, his interests above others. But that extreme example doesn't mean it can't happen to each one of us. Pride is healthy when we celebrate our achievements the use of our talents and skills. God gave it all to us. And who would say that our milestones, achieving our hard-fought goals, aren't things we should be proud of? It's when that pride begins to use the word than, T-H-A-N, that it begins to turn deadly. For example, I am so proud that I won that race. I worked so hard and I ran a good race. That's healthy pride. It becomes deadly when that celebration becomes, I am so proud I won that race and it just goes to show I'm better than everyone else. We start to compare ourselves to others and they fall short while we lift ourselves up. This is the kind of pride that breeds division 
and puts up barriers. It gives birth to racism and prejudice of all kinds. I'm better than you because my skin is this color. I'm from this country. I have this faith. I have this job, this much education, this much money in my bank account. I live in this neighborhood. I have these physical abilities. I can sing better. My clothes are cleaner or whatever we use to separate us from those neighbors we're supposed to love. If we use the word than, we're on the slippery slope of deadly pride. Bullying attempts to do that by making someone feel less than the bully. When our goal is to be better than, higher on whatever scale than, using that word than is deadly pride. As we begin to see ourselves through a set of lies, we are all children of God, all redeemed by the cross of Christ, something we didn't do anything to deserve or earn. Our gifts, our accomplishments, our privilege, country of birth, color of our skin, nothing makes us more worthy or valuable to God. He loves us all the same and gives us all the same salvation and new life when we turn to him in faith. But our equality in God's eyes doesn't start with our faith. It began at the Last Supper when he held out his hand to Judas. And on the cross when he looked in the eyes of those who wanted him dead and asked God to forgive them anyway. He came to call and serve them too. That's why it hurts my heart when I've seen good Christian people use the sin of pride to make a barrier between themselves and those sinners they find in the world. Well, I've been saved and you're not. So I'm going to heaven and you're going, well, you know. It smacks of that Pharisee. And when we think that way, I know we can't see it. It smacks of, I know what is best for you, and you should go to, well, you know, because you're not, just not a good person, or because you haven't come to Jesus yet. So God, let them have it. Rain down the thunder. Even I've had moments of wanting to tell God when someone should end up because of something they have done in a place where I don't want to go. That guy should go right to, well, you know, for doing something as evil as that. There's a very special place in, well, you know, for people like that. We do it all the time. Compare ourselves to others and find ourselves somehow superior or on top. Jesus shows us by his death on the cross that no one is better than anyone else. And when we learn that, when we can see that, then we accept that we are all sinners in need of grace. Then we've taken the first step towards humility. Humility is having the understanding that we are no better, but also no worse than anyone else. Humility is looking to the interests of others before we look to our own, turning our eyes away from what's best for us and acting on what is good for that neighbor. Pride is also a form of judgment. We compare ourselves to others and find others lacking. Jesus tells us over and over not to judge others 
We can't possibly know what has happened in their lives to bring them to this moment. Like they can't know us either. He says, take the log out of your own eye first before you try to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. In other words, look inside and let me fix what's there before you try to fix your neighbor. And since we know we'll never be perfect in this lifetime, we probably won't ever get to the place where we can really fix our neighbor. The Pharisees were complaining one night that Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners and wanted to know why. And he simply said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. When pride tries to inflate our egos, we can remember that no one is righteous, not one. Humility is recognizing that Christ came to call the sinners, and that means me. That means you. Knowing that Jesus died for the least, the last, and the lost, and that's not someone else, but includes us. Helps us keep our true place in the kingdom of God. Humility leads us to remember that Christ came to love and to serve. And if we follow him, this is what he calls us to do too. Not to serve ourselves. If we can stay grounded in the fact that Christ died for us, for our sins, and not just for the sins of that guy over there who did such terrible things, for someone else then maybe we can remember that we are all children of God, redeemed and given new life through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We didn't have to do anything to earn it, and we didn't do anything to deserve it. It is the love of a God who didn't consider himself better than us because he showed us that he was willing to humble himself to serve us. That is true Love, the same love we are called to show God and our neighbors, even as we show that love to ourselves. It takes balance. God wants the best for us in this life. And Jesus showed us that to have the best for ourselves, we start with wanting the best for others, putting the interests of others ahead of our own. That's who he is and who he wants us to be. Be humble. Love God because he loved you. And then see all people as God's valuable children, no matter what they've done or haven't done. Celebrate your accomplishments, but only as they move you closer to becoming who God created you to be. Stop comparing yourself to others. Use this 40 days of Lent to reflect on how deadly pride might be trying to get a foothold in your heart then move from deadly pride to humility as beloved children of God. Amen.